I want to talk to you this morning about preeminence. It's a big word. So let's just lop off the pre and just talk about eminence for a change uh, to start with. Eminence is to have recognized superiority. Something better than most everything else around. Now, there's negative examples and there's positive examples of that. A negative example of of eminence would be um, what we know, especially around here, eminent domain. (laughs) Okay? Um, The government can take your private land that you own and use it for public use with fair compensation um, because of their superior sovereign ownership of all the land within their jurisdiction. So even though you own it, they are eminent over you and your right to own that land and do what you want with that land. But here's a positive example of eminence. How about an eminent surgeon? You need surgery. Do you want just somebody who is mediocre at it? Or do you want the very best surgeon in that field? Does the type of surgeon that you go to, uh, does it depend, you know, your choice of where you have the surgery at? Does it matter whether the surgeon over here is really qualified and this one isn't? Probably so. We want an eminent, one of the better ones, when they go and put us under the knife. You will drive and you will fly to get to an eminent surgeon, one who is superior to all the other surgeons in the field in which you need. That's why Penny is down at Craig in Denver. Because, well, first of all, they took care of her years ago uh, in the accident, but uh, they have got people really trained in that field Uh, a paralysis and all of that. But Paul says that Jesus is not eminent. He is not, he is more than eminent. He is not just one of the greats. He is not just one of the best ways to heaven. He is not one of a dozen great men that you should consider pattering your life after. Paul uses the word, you won't see it in the NIV, but you probably would if you looked in the King James and some other translations, uh, NASV. He uses the word that Jesus is preeminent. He is superior to all the other excellent things out there. He is superior to all the other superior things that are out there. People, leaders, and gods. Following Jesus is the superior way, the very, very best way to live your life. There is no other better way to live your life than to follow Jesus. That is the conviction of the Apostle Paul in Colossians. Now that's a challenging message, especially in our culture. The world will always try to reduce Jesus down to the same level that they put all of the other gods on. And he is just one of many. 
and they will try to reduce him down to the level of the gods who have died and not been resurrected. But our Savior both died, was buried for three days, and was resurrected. He is different. They will try to recreate Christianity with Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam and etc. But Jesus refuses to be eminent. He refuses to be one of many great people. He is preeminent. So there is a difference between making Jesus eminent in your life and making Jesus preeminent. Now, the problem with most Americans is that we want to make Jesus eminent. We really don't have a problem with making him important. We all can agree on that. Yep, Jesus is important. What we have an issue with is making Jesus most important. The number one important thing and person in our lives. But Jesus, the claim of Scripture, the claim of Jesus is that he is worthy of being preeminent in your life. In the Scripture today, Paul gives us three reasons why Jesus is and should be preeminent. The first one is that he is preeminent in creation. Listen to the scripture. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him... All things hold together. The reason Jesus is preeminent and should be preeminent in your life is that he created everything with God the Father. He was there in the very beginning and you were created by Jesus. No other God created you. Nothing else that you value in your life created you. Jesus was there. Jesus created you. Jesus created the world that you live in. Everything that you have ever touched in your life had the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ in its making. He is worthy of preeminence. He is not just a creation of God, but he has always been there. He created everything else. Now, the false teachers at Colossae wanted everyone to believe that all matter was evil. And so everything that was created was evil, and that that would mean that our bodies were evil. And so they said Jesus cannot be God, that he was just a man, because God would not come and take on a human body because he would not come and take on sin. He would not come and take on a sinful body. And so if you believe that, if you believe that all matter and our human bodies are sinful, you will do one of two things. You will fall into asceticism, which uh, you just you know, don't do anything 
Um, you're very, very careful and you enslave your body and you, you know, you won't eat this and you won't do that and, and you just live your life in bondage. Or you're, you kind of live like a monk. Or the other extreme is that of unbridled sin, where because my body is sinful, I might as well just do whatever I want with it because I can't help myself. It's sinful and it's, it's ruling everything. And uh, that's kind of what our culture wants to tell us today, is you might as well just go enjoy your body because it, you know, it's just a sinful blob. And especially if it wasn't created by God, that's really what it is. But God says, Jesus says, he created everything, and everything was created good. Your body is good. Therefore, we ought to use it in such a way that it honors God. Now, in that scripture, he talks about several things. He says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation. That doesn't mean that he was created by God, but that means that he is the most important um, over everything created. Um, since he created things, he's, he's not created. But he reflects and reveals God the Father perfectly to us. Jesus is also preeminent. He is also pre- preeminent because of creation, because he holds and sustains it together. You and I would not be able to take our next breath if it wasn't for Jesus allowing us to take that next breath. Everything that you and I enjoy in life, um, God holds together. God holds the whole universe together. And all of that. And and after all the things man has done to mess up the world, (laughs) God still holds it together. Jesus holds our world together. And you and I, the only reason we can even live is because Jesus holds it together. So he is preeminent. He should be first place in our life because of creation. He created us because he created the world that we live in and because he holds it all together for us. But secondly, Paul goes on to say to the Colossians that Jesus is preeminent in the church. And because he's preeminent in the church, he ought to be preeminent in our life, the most important. Listen to this. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Now that's the exact place in the Greek where we have that word preeminent. First place in everything. That's that's how the NIV translates that word for us. First place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through his through the blood of his cross, and through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Christ is preeminent because he is the head of all Christians, the, his body here on earth. Um, will you stop and think about how, how many differences there can be within this body of believers right here? And just think about the difference between us and the Wesleyan church in town. And then you start going just within our denomination, all the differences and all of that, and Christ is head of all that. 
And then you start jumping across denominational lines and non-denominational lines and get into Greek Orthodox and, and all of that kind of stuff around the world and just stop and think, Christ is head. He is the sovereign leader of this big universal church. And if Christ is head of that, he deserves to be number one, the most important, uh, have first place of everything in our lives. He trumps all other authority. He trumps all other gods. He trumps all other philosophy and theology and lifestyles. Life should be about Jesus. Now, there are three things, three words that Paul uses here to remind us about who Jesus is. He says, first, he is preeminent in the church because he is the firstborn from the dead. No one dies for three days, descends into hell, and is resurrected, and then ascends into heaven. (laughs) But Jesus did. He is the only one that has ever done all of that. That makes him preeminent because he is firstborn from the dead. But secondly, he says he is preeminent because the fullness of God dwells in him. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. That is the sum total of every attribute that we think of when we talk about God. All of his power, his knowledge, his wisdom, all of that is found in Jesus. All of his attributes are in Jesus. And then it says this, the fullness of God dwells in him. That means it was not an add-on. It was always there. Jesus, from the very beginning, was everything that God the Father is. And Jesus will always be all that God the Father is. Now, when I was 15, in about June of that year, um, my stepdad bought a new car. It was a 1977 Mercury Cougar. It was really close in color to this, a little bit more copper and a little bit more shiny. (laughs) It it was really kind of a boat. Uh, Some of you might remember those days. Um, it had a very long nose with a very shiny copper paint job. My dad, who loved to kind of cock his head in the air and really think he was special, um, he loved that car. He was so proud of it. I have a couple memories um, of that car. He bought it because he had four teenage kids at that time, um, and we all had to fit in that thing. And we were able to do it, and they had we had seating arrangements that were assigned to us because I was the one that had to sit in the front middle because I was least prone to make Dad angry, and um, and, then <laughs> and and then Reynolds sat in the back middle because he was the smallest one and got crunched in there, and then and Melvin and Kevin sat over there because they couldn't get beside each other or they would fight. And so we had that seating arrangement all the way through after we got this car. But anyway, shortly after getting this car, my stepdad decided that it needed to be shinier than it was. And so he washed it really good, and he went and got a buffing pad. And he hooked it up to a drill. (laughs) 
And he was drilling away, <laughs> buffing that car. And on the driver's side rear fender, all of a sudden the buffing pad came off and he drilled Two nice holes about like this, right above where you fill up the tank. And every time we filled up the tank till the time we sold the car years later, years later, we had two round places where we lost all the copper paint right off of the car. I am so happy it was Dad. (laughs) We'd never heard the end of the story if it had been one of us. I don't know if we'd be around to live to tell the story. (laughs) But the other thing about that car that I remember was that in 1977, air conditioning was a luxury. And so you see that there's, there's no air conditioning there. Um, there was just a place for, you know, blue and red on the heating dial, but there was no air conditioning. It was just, the heat wasn't on when you turned it on blue. And so, but my dad really thought that it was time for us to enjoy the luxury of air conditioning. And so we, he had um, the AC installed when he bought the car. And it was about um, a four-foot-long self-contained unit, and it sat underneath the dash, kind of in the way of your shins. And and so it, it sat there, and it was completely self-contained, so you would turn on the controls down there and, and all of that. And it was a very surprisingly effective unit. It did a great job cooling that car. The heater, on the other hand, was a different story. When winter came um, that first year, um, the heater just didn't work very well. It didn't function very well. And we would go to town and we would freeze all the way to town. And we would even drive to Aberdeen, which was 48 miles away. And we'd barely be warm at all by the time we got there and back and forth and all of that. And we would fiddle with the control and try to you know, figure out why we couldn't get more heat out of it because the, there was heat coming but it just it just couldn't seem to cool the car. And then one day we discovered that the air conditioning was on high. <laughs> well, so we had the heat coming out of the floor and the air conditioning coming to the floor all at the same place and they were in competition with each other. And it was amazing once we turned the air conditioning off how much better the heat worked. The fullness of God was not an add-on. It was not some self-contained unit that was automatically just added to Jesus. Jesus has always been. Jesus is not in competition with um, God the Father. Uh, He is in sync with, with God. He has always possessed all the fullness of God in all of his power and attributes and all of that. The last thing that Paul says about Jesus being preeminent in the church is that he is preeminent because in him we have the forgiveness of God through him. You and I have no power to reconcile ourselves to God. The scripture says we were dead in our sins and transgressions. So God chose, even though we couldn't do anything about it, God chose to make peace for us. 
through the cross. Now, if Jesus had just been a really good man, like the false teachers of Colossae said, that wouldn't have reconciled us. Because a man dying for my sin, he might take care of his own sin, but I doubt that, not according to Scripture. He certainly wouldn't take care of my sin. But when God sends his own son and takes on human flesh and dies on a cross for my sin, when God pays the penalty for my sin, then something radical has happened. God makes peace on the cross by sending his son to die in my place. Jesus paid the price for my sin, and you and I have the forgiveness of God. The last thing this passage teaches us about Jesus being preeminent, the reason that he should have first place in everything in our lives is this. He is preeminent in creation. He is preeminent in um, the church. And he is preeminent in the power to change lives. He writes, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now rescued you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a prisoner. Christ is preeminent because of the transformation of the gospel. Melissa West says a good testimony follows the SAR template. SAR stands for situation, action, and result. So in the situation, we might start out a testimony by saying, this is where I was in my life. I was facing these challenges, these um, problems in my life. And then action. Therefore, I went to Jesus, and, and Jesus helped me as a result of that. And then the result, as a result of coming to Jesus, I have had this outcome, this, this result, this benefit in my life. So those three things, she says, follows a good, um, makes up a good testimony, um, situation, action, and result. But Paul describes our situation. He talks, he follows that passage, right in this passage, he follows that, that outline very well. He describes the situation, and he says, you and I, we came to God, we were alienated. Can you think of someone that you're just alienated from? Paul says, we were alienated from God. We were estranged from God. Not only because we are Gentiles, but also because of our minds being hostile to God. We just thought we knew better than God. So we were hostile towards him, and he says, because of our evil deeds. Not only were our minds opposed to the things of God, but we wanted to live our life the way we wanted to live it, and we were choosing evil deeds. He says, we are selfish. We were selfish. We were at war with God and with God's will. 
So he says, that's our past. That is our situation. And then Paul describes our action and he says, and we could do nothing. (laughs) You know, when you and I come to Christ, at least we can come to Christ and, and invite him to be Lord and Savior, but we couldn't do that if Christ hadn't already moved in our behalf, if Christ hadn't already died on the cross. So Paul says, we didn't do anything. We were helpless. We were the ones at fault in a relationship. Now, all of us can think of a relationship that is strained. And maybe someone has done something uh, that has hurt us, and um, you know they've sinned against us, and we think that, we, that we're going to sit there and we're going to wait for them to come fix that. Because they're the ones that hurt us, right? That is purely logical. That is not what God did. You and I had offended God. We were estranged. We were alienated. We were committing evil deeds against Him. And we weren't going to Him. We weren't asking Him, um, you know, to come and say, you know, We weren't going to him and trying to make things right. And God chose to send his son to die for us in our place. We were the ones at fault. We should fix the relationship, but we couldn't do anything. You know, if you're dead, you can't do anything. And the scripture says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were helpless to bridge the gap. God in that helplessness on our part, took the initiative and he reconciled us to him on the cross. And he did it at his cost. Now, that's the situation. The action is what God did for us. And then what's the result? And Paul says three things. And I want you to hear this because this is what Paul says God wants to do for every single one of us. When we stand before God in Judgment Day, and for that matter today, we we all stand before God. But Paul says he has come so that he can present us holy. Holy. Isn't that amazing? To be set apart and people who are engaged in our culture Holy. And then he says, blameless. Wow. God wants to set us apart as blameless, uh, like the sacrificial animals in the Old Testament. They had to be blameless. There couldn't be any scars. There couldn't be any ringworm. There couldn't be any of that kind of stuff. They had to be blameless. And God wants to present us to God the Father. Jesus wants to present us as blameless. And then... He says, and without accusation. You know, Satan always wants to accuse us. The goal of Jesus for your life is that he can present us because of what Jesus did on the cross. He can present us before God and Satan can throw accusation and they will be stomped down immediately. Because Satan cannot accuse you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. It's very important how God looks at you. Sometimes you and I don't look at ourselves right. 
sometimes other people don't look at us right. But God, when he looks at us, he sees us as being far better than we can ever be on our own. God looks at us through the rose-colored glasses of the cross of Christ. That's amazing. God looks at us through the rose-colored glasses of the cross. The gospel, then Paul says, the gospel produces the hope of glory. Jesus is that sure foundation for hope and for, uh, for heaven. And, and he says, so continue your faith in Jesus. Never replace it. Never replace your faith by church ritual. Never replace your faith uh, by self-righteousness or your faith in your deeds and works and all of that. Keep your faith grounded in Jesus. You know, I um, have this rental house in town and, and it, it's, it's been interesting to work with and I've learned a lot from working on that thing and, and with that thing. Um, but years ago, several, several owners back, um, somebody went in and they decided they wanted to put in some, some walls in the basement around the cinder block and they cut out the main bearing, load bearing beam right out of the center of the basement on both ends and didn't see any reason to have it there, I guess. And <laughs> so they cut that out and then put the walls around it. So by the time I had bought it and, and numerous other previous owners, they had no idea that there was supposed to be a main beam there. Well, the cinder block kept caving in and caving in. So we finally decided, I decided, we got to get rid of everything in the basement, knock out all those walls so we can find out what the problem is here. And when, of course, when we did that, then we saw the ends of those two beams stuck in the cinder block and everything else cut out. No wonder the house was going like this and all the floors were sloping in into the middle. <laughs> and so as... As I look at that, and we're trying to take care of that and fix all of that kind of stuff and, and replace that, I want to say to you today, if you're living without Jesus being preeminent in your life, you have taken out the center beam that supports the house, that supports life. And sooner or later, the cinder block, the important things, the eminent things in your life, they will begin to crumble because they're not designed to bear the weight of the whole house. They're not designed to bear the weight of your life. Jesus is that one central beam that is designed to bear the weight of everything in your life. And he deserves to be preeminent.